I was raised sex, politics, and religion aren't party talk. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Alcohol and work? And the book is called Sex, Politics, and Religion. Sex and politics have long gone hand in hand. Never bring up sex, politics, or religion, especially religion. Taboo means it is How totally a topic stupid that is prohibited is or restricted totally. by social custom. So we are, we are going to be discussing sex, religion, and politics. Okay, that dusty old adage says we should avoid talking about three things, sex, politics, and religion. But I know from the questions already in hand that we'll be talking about all three. Greetings, comrades. We're back here in the stunning Detroit Foundation Hotel. Once again, I'm your host, Jack Dalton, and this is Sex, Politics, and Religion. The three subjects you're not supposed to talk about in polite company, but as we all know, everybody does, and increasingly our topic tonight. But before we dive into that, I'd like to introduce one of my favorite bartenders. I hesitate to say how often she's been my bartender, but from one of my favorite bars in Detroit, Motor City Wine, the lovely Shelby Essenmacher. Shelby, what up? What's up, Jack? Thank you. Um, so tonight I brought for you guys a selection of champagne as well as an organic red wine. I selected champagne because I mostly would just like to touch on the phrase champagne socialist. Um, with, for anybody who's not familiar, it was kind of developed in the UK as a term for self-identified socialists who's comfortable, like middle class to upper middle class living. It can contradict um, those views given the privilege that they have. That's also just a perfectly appropriate pairing. Uh, so th thank you so much for bringing it. So while she's pouring that for us, I'm going to introduce the panel. As always, we have our fantastic audio engineer, Gabriel Bannis. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Jack. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, a uh, recommendation for my father, Vicar Dalton, um, which I'm excited to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I'm very excited to hear from. Uh, we've got lecturer, business owner, and libertarian slash classical liberal. Oh, you heard All the right. pop. <laughs> Kenny Bracker is here with us for the first time. Salutations. Yeah, welcome, Kenny. Writer, former political organizer, SPAR coordinator, and a Green Party member slash leftist, Jacob Stover is back tonight. How you doing, Jake? Good. Hello, hello. Hello. And uh, that's everybody, actually. So uh, we're, we're, we've got a kind of a stripped-down panel, but I'm excited because it allows us to uh, focus more deeply on each subject uh, without you know, dividing, dividing it up between many minds. I have no idea what it is for you, but for me, it's July 9th, 2018, and today in the news, divers rescued four more boys from a Thai cave, bringing the total to eight of 12, plus the coach. The boys were from a youth soccer team. They and their coach have been trapped in a flooded cave for more than two weeks. President Donald Trump is announcing his nominee for the Supreme Court to replace Anthony Kennedy tonight. He may have already done it. Um, actually, if you want to research that, we can probably announce it as well on, on the air. Again, Kennedy was a key swing vote, so there's a lot developing there, and we'll, we'll update you as we know it. Just to echo the sentiments of John Neely last week, Michigan's primary elections this year are on a Tuesday, August 7th. By the point we release this podcast, it could be already too late. Why there's still a siblings day, a sweetest day, 
Columbus Day, but the day that we cast our votes for our elected representatives, we still have to work, is completely beyond me, but the workers are the enterprise, so get it off and participate. There's been a lot of complaining about who voted for who the last few years, but Donald Trump didn't win the vote in 2016. The comfort of our own homes did. Or again, maybe your asshole boss made you work or you were stuck in a cave. The point is, 47% didn't give a shit, and I guarantee you some of them still complained on Facebook. This time I don't want to hear it, and if it happens again, I won't think twice about wearing my sticker all year and getting really aggressive and in your face about it. But I digress, and clearly I need a drink. So, uh, not to be that guy, but before we, I, I call the toast, I'm gonna do uh, a mini rant that kind of reflects on, on what Shelby was saying earlier. Because Karl Marx and Frederick Engels would be spinning in their graves about something that you might not expect. Marx and Engels are known to posterity as notorious economic thinkers, but they were also known during their times as notorious drunks. In fact, if you line up the accounts of their friends and family with Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto, they could well be the works of inebriation as much as social conscience. While the 20th century communists advocating teetotaling and an avoidance of decadence as capitalist vices, these men drank a harrowing amount nightly. Engels celebrated his 70th birthday with 16 bottles of champagne and 12 dozen oysters. There was no ideological disconnect for them at this time with socialism. It was part of their philosophy that men should have control of their own time to do uh, what they want and enjoy their own life. And from their observations, from food to sex, drink, culture, travel, there was plenty of joy to go around. So instead of honoring them with their famous rallying cry, Workers of the World Unite, which was I was going to do, I'm going to call for a toast inspired by the title of the article that I just echoed. From Tristam Hunt of The Spectator, Eat, drink, and be a communist. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. For the non-communists. Yeah, still. I mean, the first... I'm just taking the first part of that quote. Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah. I'll reject the second the part. The first Thanks. episode, he toasted to make America great again, <laughs> so you can toast to that. <laughs> um, so our... Um, that, that is so fantastic, Shelby. Um, let's let's, let's really a little, um, little golf clap for that. <laughs> I'd also like to point out, too, I, I specifically selected this champagne. Um, Jean-Marc select um, the winemaker for this one. Um, his father actually works for the French government, and he's um, similar to the mayor of Champagne, France. Um, so just another kind of tie-in to maybe a little bit of privilege and also um, just pretty relevant to the topic. Yeah, I can only imagine the discussions in that family. Our discussion tonight is what is socialism? It's a, uh, a topic that is just very confusing, I think, for everybody in the modern world. It's Everybody has a certain perception of what it is. There are people that think that this is communism versus this isn't communism. Kenny, you define yourself, or you defined yourself in, in your email to me too as a, uh, a classical liberal which is a, a term being re-embraced. And uh, Jacob, we've talked about uh, you defining yourself as a leftist versus a liberal. Sure, yeah. A and we've talked a lot about what 
the distinction is, and it seems increasingly um, with the modern left that the distinction is specifically capitalism, that leftists are seeking a post-capitalist world and classical liberals are not. I would tend to agree with that, yeah. I don't know if I want to reduce it to 100% economic uh, differences, but it would be very hard to divorce uh, the concept of being a leftist from a socialist-leaning Kenny, you've, you've lectured on this apparently as well, you said? Yeah, a few times around the country. Great. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've all, we're all kind of coming from this from unique perspectives of ideology and prejudice as well because it's a very uh, convoluted term. So I want to start by uh, defining our terms to some extent uh, and seeing if we all agree on them. So first subtopic is uh, socialism versus anarchism versus Marxism versus Bolshevism. It's, it seems that a cur from a cursory glance online, socialism is defined as common ownership of the means of production. We're all on the same page on that? I would say yes. so. Maybe including uh, labor being highly empowered, possibly self-managed in addition to that. So uh, ownership and control of sure. the means of production to, to, to some extent. Anarchism uh, seeks to directly achieve that goal through the elimination of all unjustified hierarchies. That, that would generally be a left libertarian uh, anarchist. Uh, Marxism seeks t uh, to achieve this goal through revolution, uh, revolution by the proletariat, a dictatorship of the people, and a gradual dissolution of the state. And Marxism is also characterized by the theories, obviously, of Karl Marx, a distinguished critic of what he called capitalism. And, and he actually, um, it seems, coined the term. So before that, it was... Um, Free market. Yeah, free market, free enterprise. Just like at Eastern Market. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, it's uh, it, the Eastern Market is uh, the free market in, in action every, That's every what Saturday Adam, morning. That was Adam Smith's vision mm -hmm. for the wealth of nations, was a free market just like Eastern Market. Yeah, and we'll get, and we'll get into Adam Smith as well, because I, I think people mischaracterize a lot of his works as well. A faction of Russian socialists are the Bolshevists that split from the Mensheviks, led by Julius Martov. And I'm sure I'm butchering some of these names, which I'll continue to throughout the cast. Uh, the word is derived from Bolshinsvo, or uh, majority. And uh, the movement was led by Vladimir Lenin. It, is, uh, it was strictly hierarchical, nationalistic, and militaristic. And they also overthrew a socialist provisional government. So this is something that is, you know, a, a particular strategy almost more so. So that would be more Bolshevism. But the, all these terms kind of get um, conflated. But it seems like there, it really early on there was two splits between the anarchists and the uh, communist socialists and then uh, democratic socialists who wanted to reform societies. The next part I have is, is the means of production, which the means of production are non-human inputs that help create economic value, such as factories, industrial machinery, workplaces, large, tra large tracts of land. That Everyone's on the same page there? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's dive into the Soviet Union, which is, I think, the most famous example of uh, socialism worldwide. But a lot of people deny that it is or that it was socialist. So uh, what is your view on that? Well, uh, Stalin, Lenin, um, they used Marx 
treaties, they used all his books. Uh, they went into the villages, they sent the, the communists, went into the villages. These villages were the richest person had four cows and three sheep, and the poorest people had no sheep and a couple chickens. And they went in and they said, it's unfair that, that, that Olaf has four cows and three sheep. You need to rise up and overthrow Olaf. And literally all throughout the Russian countryside. And there's, there's no factories at this point in Russia. They, were, they weren't an industrial nation. That's didn't true. Even, didn't even exist. Yeah. And they, they, the communists literally went into these villages prodded the <laughs> the poor, whatever that means. They were all they were all agrarian people, and they literally killed Olaf and his wife. And right. then they they reestablished a new system where the where the people who, you know, the the, the malcontents, <laughs> yeah. the people in the little village that were annoyed and pissed off at everyone else. The kulaks, I think they called them. Yeah, right? the, and uh, the well to do, uh, the more well to do farmers. And so it was. I mean, it was it was a clear cut and dry. I mean, I don't even think any historians even disagree on this I, uh, that I've read. I mean, that it was just it was avarice. It was greed from these people who had one, you know, a couple chickens, and they said, "Well, it's not fair that I don't have four sheep." And they went through all of the Russian countryside, little village after little village, murdering, <laughs> murdering people that would not be considered lower middle class in our country. Um, and that was the start of the, the revolution in Russia. And it certainly was prescribed by Marx that violent revolution was, was justified in the end, end goal. What, what do you think about that, Jacob? Well, getting back to the, the initial question of if the Soviet Union was indeed a socialist revolution or a system of government, I would say it, it basically was, although like we just described, Bolshevism, I think, informed uh, the direction that it developed in. I do think that we have a very foggy lens uh, that we view the whole Soviet Union, its ideals, its, it, it, was it successful or not? I don't think we look at how successful and how progressive it was in its early stages. Homosexuality was decriminalized uh, in the 1917 rev uh, revolution. Land was redistributed. Workday was shortened. Wages got fixed. Uh, elected officials could be recalled immediately. Uh, they had doubled their life expectancy very, very quickly, became a national superpower. We hear a lot of claims that murder or violence you know, was... Uh, necessary to enact these changes and that as a result of these changes further suffering misery and death uh, was caused you see a lot of figures of you know millions communism kills is a, a popular uh, talking points usa uh, thing they tend to give every death that occurred during the soviet union under communism is attributed to communism um, i would say that we have to look at well how is it not then i just think that obviously there are uh, in, in calculus, I mean, it was under Stalin. It, like it, the, the vast majority of deaths were, were like were under Stalin. But it, it's, I mean, doesn't doesn't his ideology have to account for that or no? I don't believe so because I believe if we look at the history of industrialization of nations across the the globe, regardless of what uh, political ideology was motivating the industrialization, we see a similar period of uh, essentially death, drought, um, you know, Lysenkoism. Um, Drought in the case of the USSR made things worse, but we have um, a lot of negative immediate effects uh, of industrialization. I would say look at the UK, um, look at even early America as we industrialized, look at any uh, country that we've intervened with trying to give them an industrialized, commercialized state in the modern era. 
we see people kind of lose life expectancy, you know, um, cancer rates go up, things like that. It's just uh, how things go, pollution, you know, as industrialization happens, uh, it's a giant shift in the way that a culture is, is run and it affects life expectancies directly. It's fair to say, but I mean, the, the, the numbers that, uh, that so the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China are, are like... They're staggering. Staggering, staggering. More, more, more were killed in Russia and China. But don't than in the thousand years before, <laughs> as far as when it came to war for. Anyone right. who's read the Gulag Archipelago, which won, which won the Nobel Peace Prize by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, you, 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 which I believe brought the Soviet Union down because it exposed the 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 million people that were being killed from the beginning of 1917. They didn't produce a, by, by, they didn't produce a sustaining crop. <laughs> For, for three generations that fed all the people. But, but let's, go back, actually, let's, let's go back to our <laughs> definitions real quick, though, because they, the st- numbers that they killed were staggering. Um, but, we, again, socialism is the common ownership by the people of the means of production. In, and instead, in this case, they killed off vast portions of their population. So how is that control from that's that's the almost that's kind of the reverse of the socialist goal wouldn't it be well according to mark are we using marx as the definition i mean marx We're, and engels since they they wrote the communist manifesto what's the last sentence in the communist we manifesto? can we can use the marx marx and engels for certainly for the soviet union and people's republic of china because they were direct influences although socialism did predate and is larger than marx and engels and um, again, Marx and Engels were in many ways mischaracterized like by, by both socialists and um, anti-socialists alike. And we'll get into that as well. But d- by, ba- based on that direct So his children and wife mischaracterized him as well. They hated him. Well, <laughs> he was a horrible human being. Well, they, 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 could, <laughs> they, could, they could hate him and not mischaracterize him. <laughs> And also, like it could have, it could have nothing to do with his philosophy, and everything to do with his personality. Let's say, I don't, I don't know, I don't, uh, I would need the quotes to exactly know, but uh, you know, knowing marriage, especially with uh, uh, drunk writers, as I, as I, as I do so well, was that socialism though? Because it, like, it's it's literally taking the workers and killing them and sending them to um, gulags, and it's it's taking their land in the in the name of Marxism, but it has nothing to do with a, a dictatorship of a democratic you know voting block of people. In fact, the first thing that Lenin did when he uh, when he took over the Soviet Union was dissolve the Soviet councils. So at this point, isn't it just a big corporation that has the stamp of of the hammer and sickle? Well, the the last the last sentence in the Communist Manifesto is "Workers of the world unite." He was calling for a totalitarian vision. He was calling for every single worker on the earth to unite and overthrow through violent force, and that's what. Hannah Arendt in the 1950s, the famous Jewish political philosopher, wrote that that's, it, was, it was a totalitarian vision. That's what was frightening about it, was that we live in America where the, the, the early fathers were arguing, could each state have a different economic system? You know, maybe we should let, let the states decide rather than the federalists. The anti-federalists were arguing with federalists. 
Marx's vision was he wanted to conquer the whole earth. And totalitarianism in any form, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Islam, whether it's atheism, when your philosophy is you want to, to dominate and control the earth, that frightens me. I, I don't want evangelical Christians to control the earth, and I'm an evangelical Christian. I don't want atheists to control the earth. Um, totalitarianism is, is what arose in the 20th century, and that's what frightened political philosophers who fleed Russia and Poland throughout for a 40, 50-year period. We should probably no, note, I mean, Marx more so thought of it as an inevitability. He thought that capitalism was going to collapse, which I think, you know, you could, you could speak to the merits of that. I, I think that's, it's, it's possible that that uh, was foolish, foolhardy. But it, it, he thought it was just going to happen in, in, in Germany, not in Russia. In fact, uh, Lenin looked at Russia as like a placeholder for the actual revolution that was supposed to happen in Germany. He, I mean, he, he wrote the philosophy of economics. I mean, he wrote other books. The Communist Manifesto was a manifesto. It was a battle cry. Right. That's what a manifesto is. Sure. No, that's that's fair. Do you have uh, um, anything to add on that? Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to just uh, quickly touch, like you said, they couldn't produce uh, like a nutritive crop. Um, we have like CIA reports. I've got one open right here um, from the early 80s describing the Soviet Union as providing a better average nutritional diet uh, and caloric uh, diet to its citizens in the United States. So I think like it may be disingenuous to refer the to them as... The is using the CIA? <laughs> I thought the I left mean, hate the CIA. I Where do. Am I? I, what the fuck I mean, is I can, happening? I can hate not the You are not supposed years, to trust your system. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> CIA is our best friend now. You can, you I'm can a hate libertarian, an, not a big fan of the FBI or the true. CIA and, or the American military. Well, I mean, I definitely don't need to be a fan of the United States intelligence system to use their information to support my cause. But I would also say that I'm referring to the Communist Manifesto or the general Marxist uh, aims and goals as totalitarian feels disingenuous in that if we break down what Marxism is and what modern Marxism in terms of like what we use for socialism in its socioeconomic system, if we look at what it actually is, it's social ownership, it's labor being self-managed, it's a dialectical critique of capitalism, not necessarily a socioeconomic system in and of itself. And I feel that it is also proliferated into almost every social science at this point. So to say that it seeks a totalitarian end feels strange because it's something that's trying to empower the majority. It's trying to empower more people. Um, and I would say that even if you were to refer to it as totalitarian, if, it's, if the totalitarian ends of socialism were met, I believe that more people would be free and would have a higher quality of life. So I question why it would be a bad thing, if, even if you were to term it as such. Well, yeah, what, what, what do you say about, I mean, we'll, we're going to move on in a second to, to Nazis. But, but I have to hide my Hebrew script when they're around. Okay, I, <laughs> I'm so glad that that uh, ended up being a Hebrew s uh, script and not something else. I thought you were going to go full Edward Norton in here. Uh, but... Can I respond to what he, what he said Absolutely, there? Absolutely, yeah. What, what do you so, think about the well, ends? Well, well so, so one of the problems in what's happened in the last 100 years is, is we don't read the actual text anymore. So I, 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 I teach liberal arts. My master's is liberal arts. And I've read every book Marx wrote. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of CIA facts. You know, I'm sorry, I'm a libertarian. So. But Marx, Marx, in his philosophy of economics, he said to people who questioned, he's who use abstract philosophical ideas. 
if you want a verbatim quote from him, I wrote, I wrote a couple down for you. He said, give up your abstract <laughs> abstraction and your philosophy, and you will give up your questions along with it. Do not think, do not question me, page 165 of his philosophy of economics. So he, he, was, he, he wrote... But again, he was sloshed the whole time. Well, no. that, <laughs> you know... Uh, you know, no, that's, 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 that's neither here nor there. That's His fair. Point, he, I, I would have to he, look he, in the context because I haven't read that. He was an intellectual swindler in that he said, okay, this is my view of human nature, and this is my view of political economies. Now, I disagree with his premise, his starting points. We, it would take too long to go there. But he's telling me, no, 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 if you disagree with my premise, you have to put it away. Well, holy, holy cannoli, man. If, if, if he has a different premise of what human nature is, and he says, I'm not allowed to question that. And, and he says it over and over. Um, to me, he was an intellectual swindler because he wasn't honest. My responsibility as, as a communicator is I have to listen to the other side and ask, okay, what are you saying? Let me respond to that. He didn't want to. He wasn't interested in it. He was the 19th century's version of a talking head, Fox News, CNBC, MSNBC, where they just talk, 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 and they don't want to listen. You know, on all those stations. You think That's that, that was, was maybe because he was st- too too focused on class struggle and not in, 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 in focused <laughs> enough in, in the individual uh, have you dialectic? Ever, have you, have, has anyone in the room ever been in a factory before or worked in a factory? Marx never even walked in a factory. He never hung out with the entire class that he was allegedly defending. I spent two years working in a rehab clinic with 900 men that were under me, and my whole life has been working in, you know, going to... Panama, Costa Rica, and working in third world countries in places where they don't have clean water. Marx didn't even take the time to go visit a factory, but his entire philosophical system is about factories. All right, so what I'm, a hypocrite. I, 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 I am going to want to do... <laughs> a, uh, <laughs> absolutely. I am going to do want to do a, uh, a fact check on has Marx... Marx never saw a factory. <laughs> it's a pretty tough one. I don't think anyone can really have proof of that. I, I, well, th- true. Could but we? I think if you Google... Marx never saw a factory. I think that if that, ex- <laughs> if that evidence exists, you'll find it. Well, I would like to say, um, even if Marx never set foot in a factory, um, Engels was a uh, textile magnate who spent the majority of his life interacting with people either in a factory, spending his time in the factory directly, or you know, uh, negotiating and debating for the rights of, of his own textile magnate. You know, so I think that True. we've definitely got... And I mean, I think that... Um, bringing to light uh, issues of, of, of workers' rights does not require you to be of the working class, but it does help your argument. I would like to, though, ask, you said he was fundamentally dishonest, right? An intellectual swindler. So when you say that, could you pinpoint like a couple of lies? I know that you specifically mentioned um, his, his uh, view of human nature. Is that what you take issue with? His, or? His, well, his, his whole view of Adam Smith's wealth of, wealth of nations, he dismissed all the premises. Even I'm not a big John Locke guy. He just dismissed anything that John Locke, Adam Smith, the, the, the hundreds of political philosophers that came before him, Plato. He, he, he dismissed it all. He didn't respond to simple ideas that had been debated for 2,000 years of Western history. He just put them aside. And, and, and when those issues come up, he literally says, and those were direct quotes from the books I have sitting in my sure. shelf. Those, he said, do not question. He do you says, have put your abstr- abstractions or ph- sure. philosophical ideas. He says, put your abstractions aside. Do you have some specific examples of things you think he was dishonest about or things that he just refused to engage on that cause problems for socialism? Well, if you disagree with his view of, of the situation of working at a factory. I mean, just, I mean, we could pick 
we could sit here for an hour and I could give you a hundred different things. If you disagreed with anything of his framework, he had no he had no interest in responding to you. I mean, my God, he his I mean. Google, Google his, his maid. She was treated like a slave the entire time she served the family. She was treated like, excuse my language, treated like shit. And, and, and he's talking about the rights. He, 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 he didn't want to work. He was a typical intellectual who just wanted to, you know, Engels, Engels gave him money for his whole life. And if it wasn't for Engels, he, was, his, he wouldn't have a house. Sure. My God. Sure. He, and there's, can, and there's uh, intellectuals like that today. If I can interject for a second, I think it's kind of, it's, it's really important, and this is why like, I wanted to focus on what I brought in today in the first place, is that you know, there's some people that focus more on the human rights part of things, and then there's other socialists that are more economically geared. But I think that uh, it's really important to kind of factor in the privilege thereof when you consider which idealism you're talking about, you know, who you're talking about. Uh, it, it is very relevant, uh, you know, whether completely factual or not. This person's never seen a factory. But I think that, uh, in essence, in watered down, though, I think that the point is Swap super past. relevant <laughs> to bring up that privilege, uh, the perspective of the person that it's coming from, like what kind of life they lived uh, is very, very relevant to uh, their ideas. And it is kind of completely against the purpose of free-thinking socialism to, to reject to reject something that disagrees with uh, what you are, what you have to say, if you can't completely shut down something if it doesn't agree with you because that completely contradicts the purpose of right. free thought and uh, equally distributing things and being able to get ahead by saying no, my difference of opinion or my difference of work or my difference of whatever matters. You so, know? so let's examine a little bit. Yeah, that, that's it's it's a good point. It, that it, it would be against the idea of even de- uh, dialectical materialism, historical materialism, if if he rejected that. Uh, that, but I mean, isn't him asserting that? I mean, the way he writes about capitalism at points and how it unfooted feudalism is is very very praising at points. I mean, wouldn't you admit that? Like, don't don't you think that he he looked at historical materialism in, in terms of like a back and forth and and you know, the one thing unseated the other thing. And, and I, I think he was actually fairly, um, fairly referential to Adam Smith being, and the labor theory of value. Adam Smith was one of the f- uh, first people who brought it up. That, uh, and and I'm, I'm probably mi- mischaracterizing this now, but uh, it's the idea that, that basically the difference between what, is, what a thing is ta- um, made to produce versus what it's sold for is directly correlated with the labor. So therefore, the conclusion is that someone's getting swindled or the, the, the person like selling their labor is not getting that. Um, is, is, am, I, am I mischaracterizing that, Jacob? Um, I would say labor theory of value, and I've pulled up the, the Wikipedia page just to back up my own understanding of it, but it is a theory of value that argues that the economic value of a good or service is determined by the total amount of social necessary labor required to produce it rather than the use or pleasure its owner gets from it. So it's essentially saying that demand values and scarcity values are not informing the, the price, but rather how much you know, human effort, collective or otherwise, was required to generate that item. Is Adam Smith cited there? Too? He is, yes. As well as David Ricardo, um, kind of dual, duly given credit for the concept. But uh, what, what do you think about that? I mean, he he wasn't. It didn't seem like he was directly against uh, Adam Smith, and Adam Smith, uh, after all, was putting forward a, 
a theory that was going to develop past feudalism. And I don't you think that that's what Marx thought he was doing to some extent? You know, Mao enjoyed getting massages. I enjoy getting massages. You know, we can find... <laughs> I mean, so what? I mean, you the, think the, that the, the big picture... You think that's where it, ends, it starts and ends between Adam Smith and Karl Marx? You know, Mao was, Mao was you know, king of, you know, the, the whole bloody country, so he got massages morning, noon, and night, and that really pisses me <laughs> off. Oh, but okay, <laughs> so if I could get a massage every night right while I'm in bed, right before I fall asleep, I would fall asleep so much easier. Okay, so let's keep, keep, let's keep it on a massages, actually. Okay, so massage is a, a service, and, and you can also uh, trade a, a good, but... I, I, Marx's uh, theories, I mean, and, and generally socialist theory, um, theories are specifically about capital or things that are needed to make a, produ- a product or something like that. doesn't really pertain necessarily to personal property like your, um, like your car, like your, like, um, like your house besides the land that's made. It's, it's about natural resources. It's about things that are a limited resource. And... Uh, so, so I'm saying, like, he, in theory, Marx wasn't necessarily against, you know, like, f- free exchange. He was against free exchange of things that are limited resources. I, th- I, I think Marx was, was a Gnostic. Okay, Mar- it was it was just compl- it was utter Gnosticism. Um, he it was it was a, it was a bloody utopian vision that was Gnostic and made no sense. Because you, you, you mean he was he was just totally sure of himself. Well, no, well, n- Gnostics don't use uh, political philosophy. They don't use historical reason. It's in their mind they figured it out. They have this mystical knowledge that no one else has. Okay, and so uh, we're gonna they, they're, we're gonna they're a religion. Essentially, it's a religion. Sure. And actually, we're 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 we're, we're going to do a call out in this right now. Because uh, actually, you self-identify as a Gnostic, don't I you? I do, yeah. Yeah. So, so that, this was something that, like, we, we um, you know, we, we were. And I admire the honesty because most people aren't honest about it. Not, it's I'm actually not, just not. came to my head because I, I don't think I've ever known anybody to embrace the term Gnostic, and it's always something that stood up with with, with Jacob, honestly. Like, but I, we never really got deep. It, I don't think we ever really discussed no. it deeply. But uh, do you want to comment on that and, and comment and defend Gnosticism or whatnot? Um, well, I think there definitely has to be a distinction made between, I think, the colloquial use of the term that he intended, which is somebody um, justifying their ideology via, like, a higher means, whether that be, you know, they were inspired by God. Um, they could be an atheist Gnostic. Yeah, no, uh, Philip K. Dick was an athe- atheist Gnostic. He believed that uh, a beam, uh, literally a laser from heaven, informed him, hit him, gave him a seizure, and uh, informed his decisions and told him, in fact, that his son had a uh, brain tumor that he then asked his doctor about. They found and, and operated on it, but he didn't really ascribe that to a religious belief, but he called himself a Gnostic as well. Um, so, so I would this is going to be a really good de- transition. Over next week, we might be going to do our first religious topic, but... Yeah, I was hoping to talk about sex and religion, and here I'm having yeah. to <laughs> we're, we're, talk about murderers. It's, just, it's just politics today, which is mainly murderers, br- I'm sorry to say. But, <laughs> sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, you called it a religion. I don't know if you'd consider yeah, it a religion. But I would but let's, say let's actually just examine this, get on a sidetrack yeah, for if, a second. If Karl Marx was a Gnostic, which I would not be privy to characterize him as such, 
I would say that it would have been in terms of how you well, view let's his define, justification. Could we just ideas. define the term as you as you see it? So for me, when I when I identify as Gnostic, just to give a very brief background, both of my parents are ordained Christian ministers, um, Protestant. I early on in my teens discovered essentially kind of the Gnostic Gospels, the Nag Hammadi codices, as they're referred to, among which uh, there's kind of a, a frame narrative that the uh, classic serpent of the Adam and Eve story was actually the true emanation of, of God, as it were, whatever you would call it, or Sophia, the Greek word for wisdom. And he, or the snake offered uh, knowledge, you know, essentially completed humanity. Um, and that the angry Yahweh God of Judeo-Christian lore, or whatever that they believe in or attribute things to, is actually an incomplete Godhead, if you will. That's the terminology they use. Um, not fully uh, realized or in complete knowledge of itself and its omnipotent power that as a result can be attributed to human emotion. He's wrathful in the Old Testament, um, you know, jealous. I mean, God acts kind of strangely, if you will, for an omnipotent being. Um, so they essentially argue that we should flip the narrative. Um, our bodies are cages for our eternal souls. Uh, we should seek sensorial pleasure, create as much as we can. Generally, the Gnostics of yore believed that uh, states and empires did not hold any true power over them and themselves. They would often drink to excess or do drugs, orgies, etc., and just seek as much pleasure as possible in this worldly life, knowing that the path those around them followed was one of falsehood. So, so that's that's the sort of Gnostic that you'd characterize Marx had, or, or it was it more colloquial for you? I, I think Gnosticism has been growing for since Darwin and before, when, because humans are religious people, and so it's impossible to get away from being a religious person. It's just that's that's it's in our DNA, and you if you reject one religion, whether it's paganism, Hinduism, Buddhism, you're going to go to another religion. And one day you'll w wake up and you realize you're Charles Dawkins and you're the high priest of your crazy religion because that guy's kind of a crazy dude. Um, Gnosticism is the is the, is probably the most prevalent uh, religion lately uh, because people use their own imagination to decide their own truth. You hear this. That's my truth. That's what the Gnostics were saying circa AD 70. This is my truth. It's been revealed to me. I hear that. I own, I own a coffee shop and another business. That's what I hear all the time. Well, that's your truth. That's my truth. That's Gnosticism. <laughs> Anything to add, Jacob? I, um, I, I didn't think this would get into Gnosticism. No, but I appreciate I, the I direction. I don't mind it. I yeah. do appreciate the direction. I'm, I struggle to picture a world in which Gnosticism is like a major force of the world. Uh, my understanding of Gnosticism and what I, I guess, practice, because it's more of like a framework for me than anything else, is that it's, it's a, kind of a, a religion or faith practice or, or uh, ideology um, arising out of occultation, um, practiced away from society and dominant culture. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm familiar, but I guess not to this extent and not in a uh, larger cultural um, zeitgeist sense. Uh, I guess it, uh, I always thought of it as probably one of the most arcane things to be. But, uh, but I, I mean, do think that he's got a, a different operating definition of Gnosticism that I can get on board with, which is saying like someone who... Uh, comes to a conclusion and justifies it via means other than logic, essentially. That's, right? that's what that... Gnostics were in the early, in the early right. yeah. Uh, we're going to move on to a different sort of uh, air quote, air unquote, socialist, um, because these, these individuals certainly 
did not like Marx, at least, uh, but they're national socialists. And the question on the table now is, were national socialists actually socialists? Or, uh, or were they, as some claim, co-opting the term to gain influence among the workers? I guess I'll start with you, Kenny, because I, I don't know, I, I don't know if, uh, I, I feel like if anyone's gonna have a dissenting view, it might be you. The question is, were the Nazis Democrat socialists? Were the were the Nazis socialist? Let's let's leave Democrat off of it. For you now. know, nowadays I'm if uh, nowadays I'm, I, I go to universities and they tell me, okay, you know, like I was in, spoke in Toronto and they said whatever someone tells you to refer to them as, that's what they are. Um, and if if you don't in Toronto, you're not allowed to lecture there. You get kicked out. And you get arrested if you're belligerent about it. So I said, yeah, cool. I'm cool. Whatever you want, I'll call you whatever you want me to call me. So well, there are plenty of anarchists <laughs> that call themselves left libertarians. I mean, are you comfortable well, with that? Well, so all all I was gonna say was Hitler said he was a Democrat socialist using today's philosophy apparently i'm supposed to okay you're a democrat sure socialist. sure but he certainly wasn't <laughs> much of a democrat let's say that he, he <laughs> definitely suspended the vote once uh, like once he became the fuhrer i mean i i guess my I, I don't spend a lot of time questioning you know what is true socialism all, all i know is for a hundred years well that's that's why we've gathered yeah today, well, well for a hundred years how, how 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 many countries have to try this thing we call socialism whether it's Pol Pot, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's whether it's Castro, at what point do we say, okay, you know what, we've tried it. Do we have to try it till a hundred billion people die? I mean, at some point, can so, we say? So, uh, but I'm saying, do you the premise doesn't work? Are you so? I'm saying, do you think that we can lay that on the Nazis' doorstep? You know, like. You were a socialist. You I, did the Holocaust. I mean, the the, par the, the parallel is on the totalitarianism. Sure, it is. Uh, the, the the and and in defense of the the statement, they had twenty five goals that they wanted to put forward. And number thirteen was we demand the nationalization of all previous associated, basically like all the things that they mentioned beforehand. We won't go to those industries or trusts. 14 was to be demand of the division of profits of all heavy industries. We demand an expansion of, uh, on a large scale of old age welfare or social security uh, or pensions. Uh, the state is to be responsible for a fundamental reconstruction of our whole nation, national education program to enable every capable and industrious German to attain higher education. Um, but they were also... Um, and it goes on from there, but, uh, can I, and then healthcare is, is right after that. Uh, so I, I, are we just defining, uh, socialism as, as providing these things or does, you know, they were also fascists and fascists were very directly in the doctrine of fascism against socialism. Uh, the, uh, in, in the doctrine of fascism, they said when the war ended in 1919, socialism as a doctrine was already dead. It continued to exist only as a grudge. So we've got a clear division right now between socialists and fascists. Which were the Nazis? Can I uh, can I jump in for a second? Go on. Um, I want to just quote Hitler just twice. Jump in for as uh, long as you want. Yeah. Um, so this is Hitler in his own words. Socialism. What does socialism really mean? If people have something to eat in their pleasures, then they have their socialism. He also said, whoever is prepared to make the national cause his own to such an extent that he knows no higher ideal than the welfare of their nation, whoever has understood our great national anthem, Deutschland über alles, to mean nothing in the wide world surpasses in his eyes this Germany, its people, and land. That man I define as a socialist. 
So if we're looking at his own definition of socialism and his own discussion of socialism, I would say that it definitely does not count as a socialist Doesn't ideology. match our accepted definition. No, I will as, say as that um, he did, I, as you mentioned, he did have um, some nationalist interests in mind, which required him to basically reinvest portions of the capitalist system into the state. However, he really took a completely hardline stance against labor and labor rights. Um, I have up here an example from Snopes uh, on this question. Otto Strasser was originally a ranking Nazi officer who also was very, not like important, but he was one of the main organizers of labor. He ported and brought up the idea of strikes against various trade unions. Um, basically to get better rights overall. And to Hitler, this was considered, in his own words, a cardinal sin against democracy and liberalism to get in the way of the uh, state's operating arms. Um, essentially, he didn't really want workers to have that many great rights. And as soon as people made too much of a, a stink and got in the way of whatever his ultimate goal was, uh, labor rights were no longer important. So I would say that it does not count as socialism other than by name, and I believe it was only chosen because at the time um, it was a trending ideology, if you will. It would have given them a positive uh, name or, or look to people are, who may be interested. Are you sympathetic with socialism? Are you, do you consider yourself a socialist? I consider myself a socialist, yes. Why, like, what is your goal? Like, why, why do you support socialism? I believe that capitalism is innately an unethical system. It has helped us achieve many great technological um, things. I mean, it's the system in play everywhere. I'm not trying to say that capitalism has done nothing. Um, but I think that, I mean, among other things, in America, um, as of three years ago, uh, five unoccupied homes for every homeless. Um, more than enough food to feed every single person in the United States, but more than five million hungry. Um, we have massive, massive economic uh, inequality in this country. Um, even in just the last hundred years, we've seen uh, completely unrealistic jumps in the capitalist class's earnings compared to that of their workers. If this is the system at play, uh, I don't think that we should be satisfied with it, regardless of if it is a good or working system. I think that we can look at it as something that is transitional towards a better end. Um, and I think so, you, so you'd like the whole country to be socialist? I mean, because I, I don't want people to not be able to eat, right? I want Absolutely. People, I want people to have jobs. But the devil's in the details. Um, so you want the country to be socialist because you think that's the only way to correct these things that are wrong? I think that if there are solutions for the problems I've listed above under capitalism, they require a restructuring of capitalism that heavily incentivizes private industry and private corporations and the wealthy to invest in the general population. Uh, I do not believe that private charity, for example, solves almost any social ill on, a, on an actual societal and cultural level. That's not to say that I don't believe private charities do good, but they do good in small, focused doses and do not replace the arm of the state in providing like a social welfare program. So, in providing so you want, so we, we already have lots of welfare programs. Sure. So you want even bigger programs. Not necessarily. You want more, you want more than the status quo. You want, you want everything to be bigger than it is right now. I don't know that I want to characterize that as my argument, but... Well, well let, me, let me ask you the next point. I mean, you have nothing more on Nazis, I take it, or... I don't know. They I, I, are bad people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, think, I think we can all uh, get on board with that. Is democracy uh, necessary for socialism, or is it not? Let me ask you that. I think we've seen attempts at socialism without democracy. Um, Bolshevik... Uh, 
lines of 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 uh, political ideology, single state places, essentially or, led or to party. Yeah, um, as we've discussed, they had hierarchies baked into the system. You know what I mean? Um, by the the core elements of Lenin's uh, ideology required there be an intelligentsia, um, required that there be a separation between the working class and and the intelligent class. When we see uh, democracy pulled to the wayside. I think we we teeter on the examples of maybe like Marxist Maoist, um, or I mean, sorry, MLM, uh, the Maoist Leninist kind of uh, face of communism or socialism, which I'm not saying doesn't provide uh, growth, does not provide positive things, but also obviously leaves a lot to be desired. Um, I do think that capitalism innately suppresses democracy in the modern face of things. I look at situations where. Essentially, we've got um, the plutocracy is, is extremely powerful in terms of, of legislation right now. We have very weak uh, labor laws, very weak labor unions. If we are looking just at economic uh, figures and we want to say, like, why has the minimum wage not increased uh, along with inflation? Why have we not had a maximum wage instituted, instituted and stuff? In, in these ways, um, I think that we can see you know, like democracy would would take into account um, a wider range of people's opinions on these issues. So your so your your answer is yes. Yeah, it's necessary. I mean, you could probably pull it off without it, but I don't know what it would look like and how it would be good. Um, do you uh, could Kenny could that be the the thing that we keep on trying, but it's not working? Is is um, you know instead of saying all of these X um, countries are socialist, maybe they're just anti-democratic. I would say that big things become dysfunctional. Big corporations are dysfunctional. <laughs> the bigger a government becomes is dysfunctional. The bigger a family becomes. If you have 47 children and seven wives and you're polyga polygamous, God bless you, I'm a libertarian, do what you want. Your family's gonna be a little bit dysfunctional. The bigger something becomes, it becomes dysfunctional. Okay? Sure. The free but doesn't, doesn't democracy divide up that we're, responsibility we're, to some we're, extent? We're, we're sitting in Detroit, okay, where the 67 riots happened. What, what, what caused the riots? I'll, I'll tell you. What, what do you think the, caused the riots? A lot of things. What, what, okay. <laughs> the murder of MLK was a huge, uh, was a, non, a specific riot. A, a non-free market allowed racists to go into the blind pig that they raided, okay? Why didn't that blind pig have a license? Because they, didn't have a, they, didn't, they, 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 they weren't allowed to have a license to have, a, have liquor. The free market says, let everyone, if you want to start a restaurant in your house, I've been to Latin America a, a, almost a dozen times. So wait, I'm People's, sorry, what, 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 I, what were you saying caused the riots then? I thought it was red-aligning. The, 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 blind, yeah, right the, the blind pig Red that was raided by the police was an illegal because they didn't have a liquor license. The only way the police, who, if, if they were racist, and I assume they were, the only, they had a right to raid them because they didn't have a damn liquor license. In a free market, you don't need a damn liquor license. If you want to have a restaurant at your house, God bless you, do it. That's what they do in all, all of Latin America. So you're, 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 That's called the free market. You're fine with no uh, health codes either. Can I mean, you're, you're against health codes as well. 
Is, is that is what you're saying? I've never, you know, I mean, there's no epidemic of millions of people dying at people's restaurants and their houses but, in all the but, countries I've been to. But there were. I don't know. I, I, can, I think I can <laughs> the cite pop, the jungle one of the as most popular restaurants in Mexican right Mexican town right now. I'm not going to say where it is. Okay. Hopefully, no police are listening. The most popular restaurant is an illegal restaurant at an immigrant's house. A husband and wife who moved to Mexican town. Okay. The millennials. You're gonna have to tell yeah, me where that the is. Millennials, talk after. The millennials. The millennials. The hipsters. <laughs> the millennials and hipsters. That's the place to be. Okay. That's two millennial uh, hipsters. Yeah. Who <laughs> live in Mexican town? How have we not heard of this? Uh, but the um, government wants to shut. Big government wants to regulate everything. A free. What, what a free market is is like Eastern market. Everyone has the right to go to free to Eastern market and be there, not where the government chooses. Okay. Whoever can pay us 100000 gets a liquor license. Well, you just discriminated against the poor. Can it, um, well, I just want to say, I think it's really a uh, little, and I'm not trying to be rude, but like crazy to say that it's like liquor licensing that caused the, the riots. I, I, I didn't say cause. It allowed racists it allowed it to, to give them a legal right to raid that bar. If there were no liquor license, I'm for zero liquor license. Sure, and I mean, that's like that's libertarian. I, can, I totally get behind that. But, that's um, free market. I would say, like, do you believe that the, that the free market has like an invisible hand that guides things? An invisible hand. Yeah, like you hear, like the invisible hand of the. Free yeah, market. that's like I, 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 yeah. I think the way to topple to, to to topple a big corporation is about getting rid of the 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 regulations for the person who's working out of their house. If if you want to do manu- if you want to make stamp these glasses with logos in almost every county in Michigan, you cannot do that in your house because that's considered manufacturing. I, I know a guy who's doing it right now. And if the state finds out that he's stamping glasses with coffee house and beer, beer logos on the glasses, they'll shut him down. And it's his full-time income. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. The free market is the way he can compete with those internet conglomerates is let him do it out of his house. Well, I that, like That's the free market. Gabe, did you have something to say on redlining? Well, that's just, from my understanding, that's what caused the Detroit riots was redlining and, uh, you know, black communities not being able to move into certain white communities. Um, Racism. It was institutional. It was bubbling under the surface. Anyway. Can we bring up, like, Black Bottom? In that circumstance, yes, there was institutional racism. And I say get rid of those laws that gave them a right right to... exactly. That's what I'm saying. No, I agree. Is don't let the government have the right to shut my my friend down who who does logos on glasses. It's absurd. So you you would agree that that the, the, the... the racism was uh, institutional, not just in the bars and with the, the but with redlining as well. Um, it, you I, were it's against a little, those it's laws. A little, I mean, racism existed. I, I would have a little nuanced position, but we're not really talking about that. Okay. I mean, it was there were definitely racist cops. I mean, there's no disputing that. But I, what my focus is on related to socialism. I don't want big government with all these rules. Let people work out of their house. When you go to when you go to Latin America. There's people that literally set up a little barbecue on, on the beach, and they do all night long while all the white tourists you know, from the suburbs of Michigan are all drinking and getting drunk. These little old ladies who are 80 years old and their grandkids sit there, and they do shish kebab chicken. And, they, and, I, and I watch them, and they can make 500 US dollars in Panama, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica, which in their, their land, that's like three months' salary because the government just lets them do it. Well, they just let him do it. Yeah, I would say that, like, especially when I moved to Detroit, which was uh, some, some, somewhere around 10 years ago, uh, the, the governmental, appra- like, 
you know, oppression of companies um, and small venues and whatnot were thoroughly a thing of the past. We were uh, essentially an anarcho-capitalist uh, state, and I, to some extent, I, I do miss those days, but not uh, necessarily for that reason. And the the, gov the governments were was, the government was just in shambles. It was, uh, but there were there was a lot of uh, great things that people did as a result, and which is why I stayed. Um, I want to say, if you want to sell records out of your house, go ahead. But they say, oh no, you have to be in the business district where rent costs three thousand dollars a month or seven thousand. I say, my God, America, the, the colonial era, two hundred years. We had two hundred years of a free market, and everyone worked out of their what house. What about deregulation? Everyone worked out of their house. Deregulation on on rent. Like, if what's, what's the libertarian solution to rent? A bar at your house could be the most popular place. What? what how, how does? Uh, What's the uh, libertarian solution to rent? Like, if he's citing rent being really high as a problem, but also saying that the free market, if it were just totally deregulated, would solve these problems and we wouldn't have had the riots. But the free market is also to blame for very high rents, right? Would you argue that? or What would happen is, is everything is cyclical. That's what the ancient Druids, Christians, atheists, most people believe everything is cyclical. So if the rents go too high over here in a free market, you go where the rent is cheap, and now the people who make the, the best... The people who are straight from Saudi Arabia and make so you, awesome Saudi Arabian you generate food, a slum. everyone is going to go over there. You generate a slum, and you require workers to move in order to keep not their a, livelihood. N not at all. Not at all. That's that just fitting your architectonic vision is all it is. Well, explain to me what it, how does the free market provide a space for people who do not have a lot of money to spend but need to live near their jobs? In, I, I, in, in Costa Rica, you can literally, you don't even have to have a house. Okay, you don't even have to have a house. You're legally allowed Thank God. to beg, get $10, go buy $10 worth of chicken, and you're allowed to sell it to the drunk white tourists. Okay. okay? That enables them to at least get up off their feet. Is that a, a lifestyle bit. that you would be happy with? Oh my God, if I could live on the beach in Costa Rica, <laughs> live on the beach reselling shish kebabs. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, and, on I the just, beach and I could just, reselling I could just, chicken. I could just philosophize all day. That's, that's the that, dream, that, baby. Oh my God, wow. Because I, don't, I look oh, yeah. back at the, at the riots <laughs> and I say... Yeah, actually, did you have something to say on the, the riots? The riots are absolutely the result of economic inequalities empowering racism that are partially to blame on the free market. I mean, we look at Black Bottom neighborhood, um, one of the largest African-American communities, lined with black-owned businesses all up into the 1950s. Um, Duke Ellington spoke on it. Pearl Bailey, Ella Fitzgerald, Count Basie. Uh, like, it was a very successful, very important uh, area, very economically active space in Detroit. Um, it essentially got targeted for land reevaluation by Detroit in the 60s. I mean, I mean but, but Louis Armstrong, I mean, my God, I mean, in New Orleans, Louis Armstrong talked about all of the blues, blues houses. He said you couldn't walk anywhere in the black neighborhoods in the 1920s and 30s. You couldn't walk one block without blues music and essentially an illegal house blues bar, okay, in the black neighborhoods. New Orleans just let him alone. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I don't think that anybody incidents. is advocating here cabaret licenses or like, <laughs> no, yeah. or well, like even, I mean, like, to some extent, I, I think that so liquor you, licenses are okay, but not as they exist now. But like, I, I don't think, I, I think we can probably... It's like an aside, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's an aside. To, to how the, did, how did humanity go thousands but, and thousands so of years without So this is not a space where licenses. that even happened anyways, because these were legitimately owned black businesses. <laughs> they, with, um, with liquor, of course. But I just want to... <laughs> 
I mean, you're, but you're, you're you're just quoting, you know, whatever article you're reading. I mean, I, I, I read I'm just Louis saying, biography, and that's what New Orleans he, was. But and blues music in the 1920s and 30s, it literally led. He, he's to specifically all of the music. arguing about the the uh, the riots and what caused. Yeah, and I'm saying like, so Lafayette Park, where this was located, Detroit decided that it would be better to have a, a freeway go through this space. It demolished all of these black-owned businesses in the 40s and 50s, leading to a situation where there's now a previously uh, ordained by whatever forces situation of economic inequality on top of racism for these people. There was no situation where they were entering the free market on a fair and level playing ground from the start because their homes and businesses were demolished. So I'd say that like saying that it was like just because they needed a liquor license and didn't have it, you know, okay, well, whatever. Okay, I mean, okay. that was never going to be respond. addressed. I've but been trying to get it back to the free market, but I'll respond to that. The assistant chief of police during the riots was a black man. He wrote a book within two years after the riots. It's considered one of, I, I, his name escapes me. I read it like 20 years ago. Do you remember ago. the book name? Uh, it was literally his version, his his view on what caused the riots. Just get it to me later. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll link it. It's, it's on my shelf. It's literally, I read it when I was like 19. Um, and he saw his view was not all, all of those things may have played roles. Like I said, it's more nuanced racism. There's all sorts of things. But his his view was the biggest problem was the majority of the police that were hired were ex-soldiers. A lot of them came from Vietnam. Okay, so I am very anti-soldiers becoming police over free citizens. It doesn't make any sense. Sure. I mean, I they're think aggressive. They're trained for war. I, I don't. I, I don't want to argue. Yeah, I, don't, I, I could I sit don't. here and. I mean, we could sit here and go back and forth on that. My point is yeah. that the free market enables the poor to compete with Steve Jobs. It doesn't. And Tim though. Cook. It, it actually well, okay. disallows that. So, so yeah, we we both we all have our our view and our examples. Before I move on to Venezuela, because it's a big. It's a cluster blank. Yeah, it's a cluster blank. Uh, and we definitely need another drink before we discuss that. So uh, <laughs> what are we drinking now, Shelby? Okay, so now we are drinking um, an organic biodynamic red from Sicily. Um, I chose this because extending upon um, the whole champagne thing or whatever, looking more into the winemaker um, who made the champagne that we were drinking Newly, within the last couple of years, kind of transitioned over to kind of became like a radical purist, like as a person, um, including going beyond um, organic farming into biodynamic wine, um, which if you're not familiar with like biodynamic agriculture, is kind of like an extreme of organic farming. It's involves a little bit more. Some would even say that there's like you could even be like spiritual about it a little bit. Um, it's kind of just like a radical organic type thing um so anyway it's, it's time to uh switch to something a little yeah. bit heavier and a little bit crazier and um biodynamic uh red organic wine great so, all right yeah. thank you very much we have to talk about venezuela because it's the big example that everyone's throwing around um it was a legitimate democracy that gave rise to their brand of socialism funded uh by the largest oil reserve in the world and led by a dynamic and popular leader hugo chavez chavez enacted food subsidies improved education and provided health care 95 percent of the economy was from oil uh, and chavez failed to diversify uh, the economy before his death when the price of oil dropped Venezuela, uh, Venezuela lost a lot of money and it uh, now has the highest inflation rate in the world. Their currency uh, for their currency, the Bolivar, 
customer price index is too high for most uh, Venezuelans to afford food or medicine. Um, 35% drop in GDP over the last five years, greater than the Great Depression, higher murder rate than the most dangerous cities in the world. Um, and this has gotten worse since the election of Maduro, who packed um, uh, and intimidated the Supreme Court and meddled in their legislature. So this is, get, at this point, getting to be more and more um, totalitarian. But is that, is that an inevitability of, the, of socialist policies? Jacob. So I want to start off and say that I personally believe it's very disingenuous to blame the downfalls of Venezuela on socialism. Um, socialism does not call for private property like Venezuela has. Socialism does not call for state ownership of the means of production that Venezuela just had. It does not call for a centralized planned economy as Venezuela had. We want to like look at similar governments to Venezuela. I suggest Norway, social democratic country. The majority shares of their largest aluminum and oil companies are owned by the government itself. Uh, the government of Norway also owns a wide range of large non-majority shares in industry and commerce in the country. Despite having essentially a planned economy that is transitional towards socialism, they do not have any of the downfalls that Venezuela uh, suffered. Basically, my argument is poor leadership would cause any planned or mixed economy to fail. It doesn't matter what the overarching system of play is. Um, I don't believe that there was good leadership in Venezuela. It's been discussed that they did not diversify. Almost everything that they had was in oil. If we look at their economy compared to the United States, for example, 60 to 70 percent privately owned is only 10 percent ahead of our own economy. Even the crudest definitions of socialism. Wait, what is only at six or 10 percent? Uh, so, ahead? 60 to 70 percent privately owned uh, economy. Yeah. Uh, the United States is 50 to 60. Oh, so Venezuela is, is comparable in terms of It's somewhat owned. comparable to the United States. Oh, I see even. What you're um, and I would say that even the crudest definitions of socialism that we would operate by would require at least 51% public ownership. Uh, okay, so it's it's not it's not socialism. It's still a, a big corporation. What do you uh, and so state privatization state, is your state big capitalism. focus there? Well, what's that? Just that privatization is your big focus there of why you can't really it socialism can't because be blamed, private entities own most yeah. of the means of production. What, what do you think about that, Kenny? I'm going to key in on one sentence. You mentioned twice, if you have the tape, so it was at least once, but I think it was twice you mentioned bad leadership. Um, it's, that's what I hear constantly from socialists. I don't, I don't mean any disrespect, but it's, it's if, I, if, if we had the right leadership, if I was in charge, then I would distribute it all property. Then I would get toilet paper to all the stores, and we wouldn't go eight months without toilet paper. That, that's what I view. I'm not, not you self-identifying as a Gnostic, but when I lecture... That's what I, I lecture as a Gnostic philosophy, is but, that people think if they are the ones in charge, then it'll work. But he's I, arguing that, that he would be the one in, one in charge of where he works and lives. Like, so it's, it, would be, it would be basically like, it, I'm, I'm just saying, like, he's arguing that it, the, all of these areas are still privately owned. So it's, it, it's, it's basically everything that is owned by the Venezuelan government is under Hugo Chavez or uh, Maduro, but... That, that doesn't make it a socialism, it just makes it a big company. There's so many variants, I mean, of socialism. I mean, these, these people keep saying they're socialists. I, I, I like a free market, local, local cities, you know, give them the power, give them ownership over their own self-autonomy, their job, whatever they produce, they own it, right? Not the government, not the collective, right? I don't trust humans to oversee all these people. 
That's what free market guys are scared of. We're scared of people of totalitarian visions who want to control it all. That frightens us. Um, you know, the one thing I disagree with them is they've been out. They they go without toilet paper for like eight months out of the year. It's two thousand and what eighteen? I have a bidet. Who who wants to use <laughs> toilet paper? They, they this this should have like spurred them on to quit using toilet paper. Yeah, you're you're lucky that I you have never a bidet. considered well, a bidet, yeah. you so can, I no, do want to continue you can using go to toilet home, paper. You can go to Home Depot. It's, it's like sixty bucks. It goes on your toilet and it squirts water right up your rear end. How it's beautiful. Is thing. there a grand social? <laughs> How is there a grand socialist revolution without bidets? <laughs> bidets, damn it, central on the policy. Thank God for the free market because you can get a $60 bidet and put it on your toilet. It's awesome. It's true. Home Ca- Depot. Capitalism I do not work at Home socialism, Depot. socialism, bidets could be <laughs> mandatory. <laughs> Cap- <laughs> capitalism is way ahead of socialism Does anyone really feel bidets. clean using toilet paper? It's true, oh. yeah. It's socialism is a world of, of, of anal hygiene that far surpasses <laughs> what, what capitalism could ever hope to achieve. Well, well, he's Goodbye, arguing the reverse. <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're gonna stop talking about which which uh, uh, which of us have the, has the cleanest asshole based on our uh, political well, philosophy. I think it's clear. <laughs> <laughs> on to Cuba, I think we we pretty much have the same opinion as Venezuela, probably. Well, let me, you know, um, che, che Guevara. You know, after the after the revolution, they they said, okay, this is it. This is going to be the real socialism where all the people volunteer. Okay, we're not going to force you. To, to be a participatory in this government. You know what they found out? <laughs> no one would volunteer. So what did Che Guevara and Castro do? Uh, they called it volunteerism, but it was forced on every single <laughs> on every single adult right. because it's the same as Jamestown, the first one of the first cities in our country. They didn't produce a crop that fed the people well, for like okay. 30 40 years until they said, "Okay, if you don't work, you don't eat." Let, let's let's <laughs> be fair because I want to talk about um, in terms of Cuba particularly the US's involvement in it because the, it was a revolutionary personality um, and not military might clearly they were not like genius military minds. They invaded on a yacht called Grandma. Uh, talking about the Bay of Pigs. Oh, well, oh, no, you're, no, no. oh, you're talking about, I'm talking Castro, about Castro. The little yacht, the what, the 20 of them yeah, went yeah. across. Yeah. R- Raul and Che yeah. called themselves socialists at that yeah. time. Fidel did not, and he didn't call the revolution yeah. uh, socialists for, for a long time. And, and basically everyone fixated on them because Batista needed to go. It was just corrupt. And... Uh, they, when they did take over, they did nationalize own, uh, and land owned by uh, U.S. companies. They shut down uh, the mob and other casinos and enacted policies to provide health care, housing, and schools. Um, and they lined everyone up and shot them. Yeah, and had hugely <laughs> oppressive jailing pro- uh, policies and held kangaroo court. A- absolutely. But it wasn't long before the U.S. was like sanctioning them and trying to assassinate their leader. And it was only after the Bay of Pigs that Fidel Castro actually declared them socialists. Before that, he was like, "We are not a socialist revolution. We are. We just. We just wanted to improve our country." Um, and nope. obviously, it's very and uh, it's a wholly undemocratic. It's a, a dictatorship. But they were going after che- che the alliances was, that work for them. Che-, che Guevara was a self-avowed communist, and he was appointed as the minister of commerce. Sure. Um, Some of them were were always socialists, but I'm saying that Fidel was responding specifically to the Bay of Pigs, and 
isn't this a larger issue that we have to discuss? Is it, is the U.S. involvement? No, oh, it's crazy. I'm a non-interventionist. Okay, so we 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 don't really have to. You're against that as well. It made no sense. Yeah, and generally, how? Uh, let's just talk real quick about that. I mean, uh, the the U.S. quashing socialist governments, Vietnam would probably would have voted in Ho Chi Minh before right. we got involved. Uh, the CIA overthrew the de democratically elected Prime Minister uh, Mohammed Mozad. Mozambique, uh, or Mozadek, uh, after he sought to audit documents of the Anglo-American oil company, nationalized oil industry, and instituted a land value tax. It, it, just because, just even a whiff of socialism, they, they overthrow a, 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 a democratically elected... Uh, so you're against all that, right? I mean, it was misguided. I mean, they thought communism was going to take over the earth, because that's what Marx's vision was, as he said in his books. No. Um, but as we see in the Gulag Archipelago, that's why I reference it. It's one of the most famous books on the subject. Communism was imploding within. It was never successful. So, so you, it, it you, you, it you understand it apart. given the context, but... It's... Hindsight being 2020. Okay. But even... even there were but you're against it. There were plenty of non-interventionists. Can I just in, jump in really Even quick. in 50 yeah. years ago. Uh, facts about the USSR. Uh, second fastest growing economy of the 20th century. Zero unemployment, uh, zero homelessness, end of famine, end of sex inequality, end of racial inequality, uh, all education free, the most successful literacy campaign of all time, uh, poverty more or less eliminated for the first two decades, doubled the life expectancy. Regardless of the means and methodologies, this is actual progress. Now, it did not end well, but to say that it was a massive failure that didn't succeed, and I've got all of my citations here if you want them. And I can give you, I can give you peer-reviewed... Zero racism. No, I'm not saying zero. Equal wages for men and women was mandated by law. Um, for the end of racial inequality, they literally had a, I mean, it's utopian concept. Okay, they didn't who's in charge of the qualities. Department of Statistics in this <laughs> government <laughs> agency? No That's one asked. Well, uh, the CIA and Russia, uh, <laughs> Russian intelligence uh, provided those statistics. I mean, the Soviet <laughs> Union literally used United States racism to try to draw in African-American intellectuals. Do keep in mind that the person that uh, probably gave these statistics, no, he, was he was probably saying, <laughs> Ah, yes, Premier Stalin. <laughs> the State of the Union is quite well. I'm just saying, you can't, you can't no, deny we post You can't deny that the life expectancy doubled. You can't. Okay, no, well, so we'll, can't. we'll post the citations on this. A lot yeah. of that on, information on is fair, though. I think the point that he's trying to yeah, make the is point that you're you making can't just say that, that it was a... That, that, and, and they in industrialized, I mean, brutally. A giant country. Brutally, but like a giant I country that was... By the way, they killed 70 million. But there was a lot of progress. Fair enough. <laughs> so let's let's go, go on and move on to other somewhat more um, successful examples, albeit small, of uh, socialism. At first, the big heroes of socialism was not Karl Marx and Engels; it was Bakunin and Proudhon, and the anarchists were the the biggest dissident movement of the. Uh, 1800s, even to some extent into the 20th century, and we're, we're uh, going to talk about first off the Zapatistas. I don't know how how familiar all of you are, but there were two anarchist uprisings against the Mexican government. A failed one during the Mexican Revolution, led by um, Emiliano Zapata, an agrarian reformer who was assassinated in 1919. 
and an army that has been declared has been in a declared war with the Mexican state since 1994. A lot of people don't know this. They consider themselves the ideological heir of Zapata. They uh, have whole communities in uh, uh, Chiapas. I think I'm saying that right. In uh, um, that practice horizontal autonomy and mutual aid. They build and maintain their own health, educational, and sustainable um, Argo ecological systems, and they continue to resist periodic attacks from the Mexican government. Um, they did select a representative to stand for them in the National Indigenous Congress, breaking a long-held tradition not to participate in Mexican politics. And they're, they're certainly anarchists, but they definitely have incorporated ideas from Marx and ideas uh, uh, from, um, I want to say, I want to say Mayan culture. It might be absolutely a, no. It might they, be Aztec. But. They're no, they're very uh, forthright about being yes, influenced but, by but Mayan they're, culture. Yes, but they're they're indigenous as well. Uh, are an indigenous indigenous movement. Um, but this is a, a community that exists right now and is uh, seemingly democratic and voluntary. What what do you think about that, Kenny? You know, I, I used to work for a cable station and a couple different ones and uh, had to record city council meetings. I like, I like governments, um, not big governments. I would sit at those city council meetings and they would sit there and spend, I'm not exaggerating, three hours debating on which lawnmower to buy for the city that week. All right. I like representative form of government um, because I do not want to be a part of every single decision in an anarchical democracy. Because essentially, you all have to agree, right? You don't want any dissidents. You don't, it's not 51%. You need everyone in the neighborhood to agree. I, I'm okay with other people making those decisions. I think when you're voting on really low, th like, you know, low level things, you can go do 51%. I don't know That's for sure. Not the anarchists I've met. I mean, they, they, yeah. they seem to think everyone has a right to their opinion. I don't want to go to those damn meetings. I've been there and I, I lose my mind. I like representative form of government where I, I you know, in are, local, small, are, you know, where, where they can right. decide all those things. Are, are you familiar with revolutionary uh, Catalonia? A little bit. Okay, so uh, this is another example. In 1936, for three years in Catalonia, in the midst of the Spanish Civil War, anarchist communists and socialist trade unions took control. And uh, the trade unions democratically commanded, commanded the economy directly. Uh, and that included railways, streetcars, buses, cabs, shipping, electricity, gas, water, plants, mines, factories, all under workers' self-management. And there were areas where currency was done away with altogether. If, if you didn't, and if you didn't want to join the collective, you were given some land, but only as much as you could work yourself. And you couldn't like you couldn't hire people. Because, like, you, you know, you were only given that much land anyway, so you, you got it. Um, George Orwell said of Barcelona when he visited there, it was the first time I'd ever been in a town where the working class was in the saddle. Waiters and shop wa walkers looked you in the face and treated you as an equal. But we, we, we have an example like that right now in the United States, and it's the Amish. I don't, I don't have a problem with them. So you, I, you're fine with this, too. I, I don't have a problem. If a group of people want to get a conclave of land and do that, I really don't. Cool. The problem is when they want to conquer our whole nation and say we all have to live that way. I don't want to be am Amish any more than I want to be a part of some other little group that has their but you're, ideology. But you're, you're fine. I think the argument, especially with anarchists, is that 
people are taking up a lot of limited resources, like land. Like, so I'm saying, like, you, you, there's no way that you're you're legitimately taking a large amount of land without taking away from everybody I, else. Do you agree a, with that? A lot, a lot of Latin American countries have a law called squatters' rights, and uh, versions of it existed in early uh, colonial America. Squatters' rights was if, if someone went onto a piece of land and they started tilling it, and the quote-unquote owner, you know, it went. It goes so many years in Panama, Nicaragua, then it becomes yours after so many years. So you're you're in support of that too. It's it's not it's not some new concept. But like like, like the Puritans were kind of into that too. Resources, you're fine. You're fine. Like the government taking into that into account. Or yeah, like, I, I mean, our, our government has allowed the Amish to exist and the Quakers and the Shakers forever since our founding. Do you Can have I, anything to comment on yeah, anarchism well, or these communities? Yeah, absolutely. One thing I kind of want to jump in, I have not yet had a chance to name drop um, Paul Cockshot, which is just an awesome name. Um, he's kind of a... Uh, <laughs> he's part of the new socialism. Um, he's... Um, I actually showed you kind of prior to this. Um, he's the the thinker that said that the labor theory of value is mathematically provable and made a 20-minute lecture showing it. Um, He is also um, a very uh, well-renowned medical imagist and programmer and just he's very intelligent with computers and networks. Um, He's argued for what he calls cyber socialism, where we use the proliferation of the Internet and the connectivity of uh, gadgets, phones, etc., to en masse gather opinions on things and just democratically do things by voting on little issues. You said you don't want to be in the discussions about the the minutiae, and I think I can agree with you, and I think that a lot of people would agree with you. Um, Not everyone is affected by every issue on a political platform. Um, And in many cases, you don't want to even be involved on some of these issues, or maybe shouldn't be. For example, um, I would say it's questionable how much uh, input men should have on abortion rights. Regardless of what hallelujah. your opinion is, it's just really that. what's what's that? I said hallelujah. Just need to add that. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, I think we have a really easy solution in, in technologically advanced um, from major one girl with the microphone. We can we can just get we can query public opinion on these things very easily, and we can do forms of internet voting on these issues that are fairly uh, falsifiable if they've been hacked, etc. Um, this is a technology available to us now. Um, so I would say that using that as an argument against uh, socialism is kind of disingenuous because we have the means to quickly get people's opinions and act on them. Well, well I mean, maybe I, I don't know how much we disagree on that. Uh, is that something that you would be uh, for down the line if it was completely voluntary? Most, most constitutional conservatives, and I, I consider myself constitutional classical liberal, don't have a problem if a group of people want to go buy Utah and become a polygamous state. We don't care. So what would be the, what, the recourse, What's though? scary is that the, the typical socialist, they want I mean, everything they to be the same. That when, I mean, you know, when they changed the law in Utah because they did have a yeah. problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> and well, that's and, literally and, what and, happened and, 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 in Utah. And a lot of evolutionary psychologists think polygamy is not good because all the charismatic men are going to get the most women, and then all those other men are going to become sexually frustrated, and they're going to become violent. I, I'm not an evolutionary biologist, so I don't. I can't comment on that. That's that's the theory as to why you don't allow polygamy. I'm kind of cool with whatever. If every state wants to have different laws, we're cool. That's what was beautiful about the Constitution. Federalism is is like socialism with a small s, where they want the whole United States to be one utopia of uh, one architectonic vision, and the anti-federalists, which were the the const, you know the true. 
uh, classical liberals in the in the 17th and 18th century, they said, no, let every colony Democratic figure it Republicans, out. Yeah, yeah. Let, let every state figure it out, man. We could have, we could have, we could try this form of whatever topic you want to pick, healthcare, whatever, in each state. And then if it fails, it fails. And the Amish can do the Amish thing. We could have Buddhist communities. But socialists, we know, we see them in the media all the time. They want to conquer the world. Every, so, well, well, Jacob, Venezuela, would you feel comfortable yeah. doing that Venezuela on the state level? Pot? Well, what I'm, I'm curious, like the Zapatistas have existed for years now and have not uh, made any great Decades moves yet yeah. towards, towards global domination. And they are absolutely a force of good, in my opinion, um, very important for women's rights. They have a huge focus on women's rights, actually laying out a series of more than 10. Yes, um, actually, I've got that here, too. Uh, they have... They have uh, they insist upon gender equity with the re- women's revolutionary law, which explicitly gives women equal and reproductive rights. Yeah, they're also very important um, in in bringing to the table a post-colonial discussion of like what do um, small communities that had their own system of self-governance do after colonization? How did they reclaim? power over their own small communities, how do they reclaim land that's been taken by larger organizations. Um, They're very important for um, indigenous rights in the area, which has been a big problem in the past. So I would say the Zapatistas are absolutely a force of good. They're also a pretty interesting model. This is largely made up of rural indigenous people, farmers, etc., not typically the politically empowered class. Um, and yet they, on the defensive, have, have made big changes uh, in the face of an imperialist government. Um, so I would say the Zapatistas um, are an example of a socialist-leaning organization making real-world changes for the better over a long period of time without doing anything totalitarian. Okay. Cool. Um, anything yet. to add from that? No. I, 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 yeah, it's true. We just have they're, to wait. <laughs> they're lying in wait. Um, um, Revolutionary it. Catalonia, I just wanted to say, um, or George Orwell, who you already quoted, actually had an entire piece uh, homage to Catalonia discussing how it was a paradise for a socialist ideal, uh, among his quotes. Many of the motives of civilized life, including snobbishness, money-grubbing, fear of the boss, etc., had simply ceased to exist here. The ordinary class divisions of society had disappeared to an extent that is almost unthinkable in the money-tainted air of England. Um, he essentially experienced the revolutionary Catalonia as nearly the utopian view of what socialism was, and I would say that it's a great example for modern socialists to look at as a middle ground between full libertarian communism and a quote-unquote vanguard party approach. Um, we essentially had the CNT immediately after the revolution act as an educational organization, um, helping the proletariat understand what had occurred and what their rights were, and then they handed the democracy directly to workers afterwards, which is a twofold strategy we haven't really seen elsewhere, and I think would be a successful approach for future socialist governments. So you think it, basically you're saying that like the 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 thing that they did right that everyone else did wrong is that they were legalistic and and rightist, like they or they. I mean, they they made people aware of their rights. To a degree, yes. And I would say they also had a, a strategy that was twofold. They had an idea of what they were going to do once they had taken power, how to um, educate the masses, and then pass power to the workers directly. I think a lot of times we kind of get halfway through the revolution, and then uh, actually getting the means of production seized, or getting power to the workers, empowering the labor class, doesn't necessarily happen for various reasons. Okay, well, we'll talk about how this is going on in our country or not going on or what exactly is going on uh, because um, 
then my next question is, are democratic socialists in this country that are running for office, et cetera, actual socialists or are they just New Deal Democrats? Because um, we basically have the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. It's the largest social or- socialist organization in the U.S. in over a century. Uh, most recently, uh, the count was 45,000 strong at a median age of 33, 15 of whom were elected to office in 13 states in 2007, but that's 20 members that already hold office. I'm not sure if that's a a separate number or or, um, altogether. Uh, But in the words of the DSA Constitution, we are socialists because we reject an economic order based on private profit, alienated labor, gross inequalities of wealth and power, discrimination of race, sex, sexual orientation, gender expression, disability status, age, religion, and national origin, and brutality um, and violence in defense of the status quo. Uh, We are socialists because we share a vision of humane social order based on popular control of resources and production, uh, economic planning, equitable distribution, feminism, racial equality, and non-oppressive relationships. We are socialists because we are developing a concrete strategy for achieving that vision, for building a majority movement that will make democratic socialism a reality in America. We believe that such a strategy must acknowledge the class structure of American society and that this class structure means that there is a basic conflict of interest between those sectors with enormous economic power and vast majority of the population. And... um, to some extent, the people running, such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they, they to some extent, water down this, these ideas or say that the socialism means to her, uh, for instance, uh, that it's uh, in a developed, wealthy, ethical nation, no one should be too poor to live, which is hard to argue, um, argue with. Um, but it, it kind of brings up the question, is this a political strategy to rehabilitate the term from people who were part of the Red Scare, or is this, you know, is this just, uh, are we just conflating a new, we are just making a New Deal uh, Democrats uh, comeback? What do you think, Kenny? Yes. You think it's, you don't <laughs> think they're actual socialists? I, I, I think they're... Or, do, or you, I, think, I, I you think, you probably think I, that I, FDR was a socialist. I, I think they're hypocrites, you know? I mean, I, Bernie having his, what, his, his mansion on the island, he's got three houses, he made... How much money last year? This Cortez, a few years ago, when she was a small business owner, she was asking for lower taxes on small businesses. Now that she's becoming a politician, she wants bigger government. There's nothing stopping socialists from going, doing what the Amish did. Create your own little utopian society and see if it works. What, what conservatives, what libertarians, what we're saying is, I don't want you to force the whole country to look like that. Take, take, take evangelical Christians. But do you who, think that they're socialists? Well, well, t- t- take evangelical Christians who want to ban all nudity in art, right? If they want to do that in Mississippi, I ain't going to live there, right? Art, like, I'm very pro-art, very pro-classical art. But if they want to make the whole state of Mississippi, no Michelangelo, nothing, go ahead. See how that works. See how, see how your children turn out. They're all going to turn out a little weird, right? Um, but I don't want to force any ideology. I just don't want them to bathing suits onto all of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to force any ideology on every single human being in the country. Why can't we do what the founder suggested, try all sorts of different 
philosophies in the different states, and the main form of the government is what? For military to protect us from crazy people that want to bomb us, right? And, and to oversee commerce between the states. We can't do that because the plutocracy has already seized control of, of the mass, mass majority of legislation and, and power in the country. I don't, there's no even or, or basic standing point for alternative uh, methods to be tried. Yeah, to be fair, like Jeff Bezos, how much land does he own? It's, it's a disproportionate amount. The I mean, one of the biggest leftists in the country who supports I all the socialists. I disagree with that completely. Bezos well, is yeah, a huge but, union buster, but, not a leftist at all. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you, I mean, so you'd say he's a... Uh, a hypocrite, but I mean, is it is it hypocritical for someone that is actually involved in uh, trying to enact uh, equitable politics? Uh, I mean, like, do you, Bernie's not pretending to say anything, but that people should be have access to education and healthcare. I mean, what, how is that uh, hypocritical? Living in a in a mansion, I, I don't actually even know if he lives in a mansion, but he's got three houses. Right after the election, he bought a mansion on the island. Yeah, that was on just what their, island? Funny uh, one enough, of those little islands. I just want to interject and say that funny enough, I think that um, our introduction, the the champagne socialist phrase, I think is something super relevant here to consider that some might say that these people aren't socialists at all, and others, including probably themselves, would say, no, I am socialist, um, but at, at what point does the luxury of their life um, hinder slash possibly influence their opinions and the actions that they can take um, to contribute to what they consider to be socialism? Sure, and, and does a socialist really have to, like, be a monk in a church? What is exactly wrong, what, what, with, wrong with enjoying life? I, I mean, what's what seems to be the kind of the fluid thing that we're hearing throughout the discussion tonight is, is, is one side of the table wants, says, oh, it's impossible to let all the states have different policies, different ideas, different I- ideas on art and sexuality when it comes to polygamous marriage or whatever it is, right? One side said, nope, we have to have socialism. The other side is saying, I'm really cool. I really want liberty and equality. You may have very different ideology. I'm a moderate. I want to live in a moderate state. I don't want to live in a far right state. I don't want a far far left state. But the country is so big. Yeah. I mean, we're we're a huge territory. I get that they're all supposed to be laboratories, but I think that <laughs> I think that there are certain there. If if a principle, if something is a person's right, it either you know either you're disenfranchising people or you're not. It doesn't matter what state you're in. I mean, and uh, to some extent, I think. Uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily. I'm I'm a constitutionalist. I think that if I think there should be more amendments passed if you, if we have a really good idea. Um, but and I think that when you're talking about people's rights or even animal rights, we should we should pa- you know start passing them. You know, and, but it's there are certain things that you have to put your foot down no matter what state you're in. It's, there's and to some extent, I, I think that. Nat- I mean, natural resources is where I come from, and I'm I'm actually a, a Georgist, which is I, I feel like halfway between a capitalist and a, a socialist. Is I, I think it's it's ridiculous that Nestle's able to uh, <laughs> have as much water as they want for four hundred dollars a year, and Flint residents are are starting <laughs> to have to pay for for water again when they can't even trust the pipes. I mean, like it's I, so. I mean, it, it's the sort of thing that. You have to put your foot down with certain things. There's, there's, st- when left up to the states, they will fuck huge portions of their population over. I mean, it, we've seen it time and time again, you know, with Jim Crow and slavery and everything, you know. 
Um, but, but if you were in control, it would all work out. That's what scares Can me. I, that, I hear, and that I was the it. vision. And that was the vision of every crazy socialist or communist dictator. They said, "Well, when I'm, I'm in just charge, saying, natural when I'm in charge, taxed, it's going to work out." I don't think that it's fair to say that calling out something that works or doesn't work. I don't think that it's in essence saying that but if i'm the one doing it it'll work i think that i think that there's a middle ground between saying hey this clearly has and hasn't worked but i don't think that necessarily fully implies but if i'm the one doing it that'll work i think it's it's fair to throw it out there to just say that something different needs to happen i mean I, I, all know? i'm saying is how many million people have to die can i uh, speak Billions? on this one we have to in flint alone can i years? speak on this one Go on. Um, just if we're going to attribute millions of deaths to communism, then we have to attribute millions of deaths to capitalism because all the deaths that are happening under capitalism that are able to be stopped because we have the resources to do so should be blamed on it. I don't think that it's very uh, – it's just disingenuous to, to take the communism kills approach. Um, to go to the question at, at hand – um, but, the, but people have killed in the name of communism. Absolutely, as, as have absolutely. they in capitalism. I mean, how many in Syria and Libya, in Libya in the last four years? Um, I know... Right, just as long as you own up to that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think that we that nothing about communism or socialism requires murder. Uh, that's that's uh, really just kind of conflating ideas that shouldn't be. Um, to speak really just briefly... Um, Bernie Sanders has been employed in a six-figure salary for 40 years as a senator. Um, I think it's fine for him after that many years at that high of an earning to purchase a $600,000 summer home. Um, I don't know, like... I, he, he can, but again, is it is it? You're arguing that it's anti-socialist. It's Why? not. It's not anti-social. I mean, he he literally has forty uh, years of labor. My original, but I, I mean, I like that. Like I said, I'm I I can respect capitalism and I can respect uh, the, uh, socialism in in. in and I don't necessarily. And, and Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. I mean, he's not. He is not trying but, to overthrow But I'm just capitalism. saying, you can enjoy life and be a socialist. That was my original premise. Like, why is it hypocritical? Where in the, where in Das Kapital, where in the Communist Manifesto, or where in philosophy of economics? Where did Marx give? That. Well, Cockshot is the one that you would want to look to because he wrote about these things when they existed. Uh, Marx is in the past. We have people who have furthered Marxist concepts and socialist concepts since that point in time. Um, I'm just saying that there's absolutely nothing hypocritical about a democratic socialist living in a capitalist society, working for 40 years to earn a home that he purchased through the laws of his system, while also saying, I wish that everyone had access to universal health care. Um, that we closed some uh, tax loopholes, none of which he used to achieve his purchase. You're, you're, he files his taxes with TurboTax. You can look them up online right now. I mean, he didn't do you're, you're anything. T you're talking to someone who worked 50 hours a week at a rehab clinic in Detroit for two years, and I worked for free. Okay. Okay? Because as evangelical Christian, I don't believe my ministry... And I, I wasn't doing Christian ministry in the sense of I wasn't talking to people about God. I was working with re with heroin addicts and all the different chemical addictions. That's what my certification is. I did it for free, okay? And if I was a politician, I would not accept a salary. I think it's BS, all right? I think it's BS that Michigan State House representatives get 71000 a year and $10,000 spending money, and a state senator gets 90000 a year, and if they stay in for six years, they get a full pension. It's BS. I would do it for free 
because those are my principles. It's called integrity. That's actually like a communist principle. Um, publicly elected No, I do it voluntary. Well, I don't want to be forced to do it. You're not forced to. I mean, in, in the communist system uh, under socialism. But you're sitting those. here defending the person who's all for this top-down socialism, big government, redistribution of wealth. And I'm saying, look, I, I'm trying to put my... wealth has already occurred on a regular put, basis. I'm trying to put my... The wealthy. I'm, I'm trying to put my money well, you, down where my mouth is. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to do. I worked in the jail for two years. I did it for free, even though they offered me a. Offered I mean, me money. I would say that you were taken advantage of by the free market, and that you allowed yourself to be manipulated into working for free when your labor had value. Um, no, you, but, I, it, but he chose to do it. I mean, and he, I like, worked, only based on his I own worked, personal I worked, ideology. As, I worked sure, my ass but that's, off. That's 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 commendable. I mean, that's I worked my ass off. It is altruistic though, to pay I my bills. I think, in essence, I think what's important about this point is that. There is a lot of personal choice involved, but it, again, it brings up the concept of can you be a person of privilege? Can you be a person who has a lot of expendable money, whether that was because you chose to or whether you worked your ass off for it? Can you be a person with a lot of money and with privilege and be a socialist? Does that contradict itself? Yeah, and I, I, and I, I think that kind really of is just coming down to everybody's own personal opinion on where the economic line and cutoff is of does this count as uh, uh, privilege overweighing your ability to fully be a true socialist? Sure, and I don't think that uh, socialism is necessarily trying to do away with all privilege so much as all hierarchy and I, I think that the means to do that is debatable for forever um, and I, I, I mean so I'm, I'm pretty much just going to put a cap on that because I want to hear what everybody would do to design their perfect unicorn unicorn <laughs> uniform for the glorious communist revolution so um, I'm gonna um, I'm a, I'm gonna start with the capitalist. Uh, so I'm not a capitalist. I, I all night long I've used the word. Oh yeah, okay. What if I'm just, I'm just saying market. A socialist <laughs> or a communist might call you a capitalist. Um, Using their or any vision. number of uh, other uh, rose by any other name choice phrases. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I didn't mean to to throw a uh, I think human, a Marx coined I, I, term on you. But what, what would what would I, I, they I, wear? I look at human nature. I I don't. Trust they're coming. They're coming to take take. Over and take your land and, <laughs> and make you uh, make you grow a beard. Yeah. And they're marching over the the horizon. What are they wearing? What are they wearing? What are they wearing in the glorious communist revolution? I, I what would I, <laughs> I? Maybe maybe if they could just walk around naked. Okay. Naked people like don't don't scare me. You know, usually when naked, they're you know. Oh, okay, just laugh at them. Okay, so they're less intimidating. Your communists are naked. I, I like that. <laughs> Hopefully, they use bidets so their asses are clean. Because <laughs> naked people who use toilet paper might be kind of gross. I'm sure that's important. Okay. I know that's important to you, um, and and for you. Um, actually, I kind of I'm surprised to see that we have similar approaches. I had um, come to this not from an idea of nudity, but I like the idea of kind of something based on maybe the toga of old. Um, it's very revealing. And I like the idea of um, for femme identifying or, or female um, um, uh, uniforms might have a, a zippable uh, breast reveal. Um, and then the male or the mask identifying might have a single testicle reveal or uh, a single testicle yeah. reveal. <laughs> so one, one breast one or one testicle, just to make you a little more approachable. Um, to just to show you know we're all the same here. Um, I, if if you're you know in a position this of power, this would go great in warfare. Yeah, I'm sure. and um, you know I actually I based this. Um, there was a, a French uh, uh, princess or um, 
I've got to look up her name really quick. Concubine to to uh, one of the kings who who popularized a single breast being exposed as kind of a an outrageous. To one of the kings. Yeah. Uh, you don't on. know what king me, or civilization. One or breast anything? exposed. Let me. Okay. Agnes Agnes Sorel. Agnes Sorel. From where? Um, she was from 1422 to 1450, known by the sobriquet the Lady of Beauty. Um, you can see an image of here with her favorite type of dress. Which yeah, has certainly not a communist or socialist. One, one breast revealed, yeah. Um, however, uh, she was during the time of Joan Nobility of Nobility all the yeah. way. Um, I like the idea of kind of uh, taking that and uh, reclaiming it for okay. the masses. fair, fair. Uh, Gabe, do you have one? I don't know. I, uh, I was going to say naked, but maybe for slightly Wow, why does reason. everyone want their communists naked? I mean, <laughs> I do, some of them. But I just think it's inevitable because there weren't enough clothes to go around. hey <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shelby, you want, what, what kind of uniform would you want your uh, communist the army in? Of Man, I want all of them battalion Xena warrior princess outfits yes. coming right at me. I'm just going to go really yeah. old school. Just so give like, me Xena. Yeah, like like almost the <laughs> mascara. Like I, I feel like the I feel like Wonder Woman civilization. I mean, I'm might sure there's like a lot of actually. like boob sweat in those like metal titty holders and whatever. But like, just bring it on. Bring on the super metal outfits. Yeah, no, I like that. <laughs> so I, I, I have, I have strong opinions about uniform <laughs> aesthetics in general, and I, I just think okay. So the Nazis were right. I mean, not. <laughs> you fucked Good night, up, everybody. Dan. No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah. You know, not, not, a, not about all that stuff. No, uh, but, 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 you know, like they were, they were uh, cynical little political shits, and uh, they, they would use socialism or like, or the Catholic Church or anything that they could to just, like, they're just like, yeah, be part of our political union or whatever. But they were clearly. They knew they were evil, basically, and their uniforms reflected that with, like, skulls and lightning and, like, <laughs> evil shit, like, evil stuff. <laughs> and um, so, uh, honestly, communists are workers and, like, you know, salt-of-the-earth type people generally, and their clothes are bland, obviously, and, and gray and, uh, you know, like, uh, earth tones as revolutionaries, but... Then they get power and they copy other people's stuff. It's just like it's just like military, uh, you know, s military uniforms that are just uh, way over the top. So, I, I, I say, and uh, some people follow this uh, already. I feel like, but I say, keep the overalls, keep the boots, <laughs> keep the work clothes. If you're even if you're a craft cocktail bartender. Dress like the bourgeoisie, you know, just dress like you're about to go to work and, you know, just just kind of just be comfortable because I really I, I think that generally we're we're all trying to show up to meetings in this in this uh, glorious revolution and maybe be, you know, in warfare maybe bring shovels, whatever we've got. Utilitarian athleisure. Uti yeah, utilitarian, um, you know, definitely dress for coat weather because <laughs> it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be brisk sometimes, especially here in Detroit. And just dress to, um, uh, like I said, eat, drink, and be a communist.
Thank you very much, everybody, for being here. And uh, thank you, Miss Shelby, um, for the uh, alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Shelby. <laughs> great for choices. Me. Red was a great color of wine <laughs> for the topic. Yes, it was. And uh, champagne. The blood of all the people that died from the damn socialists <laughs> and communists. And champagne represented the, the capitalists, go. and I feel like it was just kind <laughs> of a, a good mix. Uh, and great backstories on both of them. And um, I want us to thank Jacob Stover. Um, Kenny, I want to thank you so much for being on it for, for the first time. I look very forward to next week, if I can uh, possibly pull it together. Thank you, Gabe, for recording everything. And uh, that's episode three, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs>